Section 25 of Life of John Churchill, Duke of Marlborough by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, Audenarde, Part 2. Eugène too had attacked and broken the enemy's front, and the Prussian general, Natsmer, made a bold charge upon the second line whilst the enemy was still in disorder. He pressed on till the heavy fire of the French, who were sheltered on every side behind the hedges, mowed down his soldiers. The fighting was so close that he himself received several sabre-cuts and lost half his men. Marlborough, meanwhile, pressing onward slowly, noticed that the enemy had neglected to occupy the high ground above their right. He saw that it might be possible to turn their right, and this task he entrusted to the aged Dutch general Overkirch. Overkirch was not afraid of a hard task. He led his troops on rapidly and took up a position in front of the mill of Oike. Then Marlborough sent a message begging them to attack the enemy in the rear, and the young Prince of Orange rushed down with the infantry from the height upon the French. Some Danish cavalry supported him, and they fell upon the famous household cavalry of the French. Darkness was gathering, and the French were dismayed to find themselves thus attacked at their rear. Their dragoons fought bravely, hoping to save the infantry, but were cut to pieces themselves, and the greater part of seven regiments were either killed or taken. Eugène and Marlborough, too, had managed to press on, so that the French were hemmed in on all sides. Vendôme got off his horse and, putting himself at the head of the infantry, made a last attempt to save the army. But he could do nothing. The men had lost heart. They remembered Marlborough's former victories and saw that that day would add another to the number. The broken ground made any vigorous joint action impossible, and as night drew on, the French were more and more closely surrounded by the enemy. At length, the right of Eugène and the left of the Prince of Orange met, and mistaking one another for enemies continued their fire till the vigorous exertions of the generals at last stopped this struggle between friends. At nine it was found necessary to bid the troops halt as they stood, since they could no longer tell friend from foe. In the darkness the French managed to escape. Some slipped through the gap in the ranks of the Allies near Bevrin and fled to the French frontier. Eugène managed to take many prisoners by ordering his drummers to beat the French retreat and getting some refugee French officers to sound the French rallying words. The right wing of the French was destroyed, but the left might still have retired in good order had the Duke of Burgundy and the generals listened to Vendôme. But panic had spread through the army, Vendôme could find none to listen to him, and had to give the word of retreat. A confused flight toward Ghent began at once, and only with the greatest difficulty could Vendôme keep a few troops together to cover the retreat. The Allies waited on the battlefield till morning dawn, and then Marlborough sent troops to pursue the retreating French, whilst he employed others to search out the wounded who were still alive amongst the heaps of dead on the battlefield. The French lost 15,000 killed, wounded, and prisoners in this battle. The loss of the Allies was 3,000. 
Marlborough's letters to England do not show the same exaltation as after his former victories. Ill health and the thought of party troubles at home oppressed him. He only hoped that the victory might serve to make the government more popular. He writes to Godolphin by Lord Stair, I must ever acknowledge the goodness of God and the success he was pleased to give us, for I believe Lord Stair will tell you, they were in as strong a post as is possible to be found. But you know when I left England I was positively resolved to endeavour by all means to win a battle, thinking nothing else would make the Queen's business go on well. This reason only made me venture the battle yesterday. Otherwise I did give them too much advantage. But the good of the Queen and my country shall always be preferred by me before any personal concern, for I am very sensible, if I had miscarried, I should have been blamed. I hope I have given such a blow to their foot that they will not be able to fight any more this year. My head aches so terribly that I must say no more. In another letter he deplores that they had not two more hours of daylight, in which case they might have put an end to the war. After the battle, no time was wasted in idleness by the Allies. Prince Eugène went to meet his army, which was at last drawing near to Brussels. The Duke of Berwick was known to be marching from the Moselle to reinforce the French, and Marlborough was anxious to be ready to meet him. He managed, therefore, to break through the lines which the enemy had made to cover the country between the Lease and the Scheldt, just before Berwick came up. He then fixed his headquarters at Warwick and spread his army out along the Lease. The French frontier now lay open before him, and he was anxious to press forward into the very heart of France, whilst at the same time an expedition was to sail from England to act on the French coast. But this scheme was thought far too bold by the Dutch, and even by Prince Eugène. It was thought that first some of the great French border fortresses should be taken, and arrangements were made to besiege Lille. Marlborough was much hampered by the difficulty of getting artillery. The French holding Ghent commanded both the Lease and the Scheldt, which joined at Ghent, and so artillery could not be sent by water to the Allies from Holland. It was impossible to recapture Ghent, for the French army was encamped in an impregnable position behind the canal, which goes from Ghent to Bruges. They showed no desire to risk another battle, and felt confident that owing to the want of artillery, the Allies would be able to do nothing further that year. On the other hand, most extravagant expectations were cherished in England as to the consequences of the Battle of Audenarde. People could not understand Marlborough's difficulties, and he spoke bitterly in his letters of the way in which fault was found, saying that he saw he would be blamed if impossibilities were not done. When it became known that the Allies intended to besiege Lille, the French treated the idea with scorn. The town had been taken by Louis XIV in 1667, and Vauban had fortified it with extensive works. Vauban was dead, but he had himself drawn up a scheme for the defense of Lille, which he had left to his nephew, a skillful engineer, who now hastened to superintend the defense. Marshal Boufflet, the governor of French Flanders, had the command of troops amounting to nearly 15,000 who were to defend the town. The siege did indeed seem an enterprise of tremendous difficulty, more especially as the position of the French army near Ghent prevented any communication with Holland by water. 
artillery and ammunition had been collected for the allies at brussels which would have to be brought them by land through a country full of hostile troops all the skill of marlborough and eugene was exerted to protect the convoy whilst the french were equally anxious to attack and destroy it the train of cannon and ammunition fifteen miles in length left brussels on the sixth of august and eugene followed with his army to protect it whilst marlborough sent troops as far as audenarde to meet it so perfect were the arrangements that though Berwick hovered about with an army impatient to attack it he found it impossible to do so the convoy arrived in safety without the loss of a single wagon the french themselves were amazed at the skill of their enemies End of section 25.